Thank you. Thank you guys so much. That was good. That was good. I, love... I could do more of that. This is a little strange. I don't know about you. This is a little strange for me. Uh, first of all, it's, it's, yeah, I have been asked to preach before. I've done preaching before. Usually the pastor's away. He's here. <clears throat> so that makes it a little bit different. Um, and uh, th- this is the first time that, that I've been asked to share here. Uh, God's been doing a couple things on my heart, and I just, um, uh, just want to be able to share that with you. Um, how many of you like to watch people? How many of you like to watch people? Now, as I'm, as I'm looking, some of you are not raising your hand, but you're online. And some of you probably even possibly even stalk people online. So you really like to watch people. You like to hear what they say, you know, to see what they say, see what they do. You like to watch people. I'm my generation. I'm old enough. I remember going to something. Some of you don't know about this. Something called a mall. <laughs> and people used to go to the mall, basically for entertainment, to watch people, right? And it's like, and and it was a lot of fun. Even just to, as you walk around the mall, you see different people and. Yeah, you know, the old people would be in their sneakers walking around the mall, the mall walkers, stuff like that. Then they would sit down and they would just stare at people. You ever notice that? They would just con- stare at people. And you always wonder what they were thinking. Some of you, like, actually post stuff like that. Like, what were they thinking when they wore that or when they did that or when they said that? You know, like, that, that actually, we watch people. I enjoy it. Uh, I'm not online as much as some of you, but like I enjoy just observing people. One of the things that I, I've had a chance to do is teach school, and it's kind of fun giving an assignment in school where they're all working on an assignment, or right now I'm working with the Georgia Virtual Students at Loganville, and it's like, uh, it's like sometimes they don't even realize that you're there, and you get a chance to observe all kinds of stuff because you get a chance to see like, you know, what they're doing, you hear what they're talking about, everything else like that. It's, it, it's really kind of cool just to, just to observe, just to watch people. Now, sometimes we do that because people are strange, right? You know, like you ever say, Amy and I say this to, our, to ourselves all the time, how come we're the only normal ones? Because we take a look at other people and we're going like, like in our family, we are the only normal ones, you know, because of course we all think we're normal, but um, we get a chance to look at people. We get a chance sometimes to see what they're doing that's wrong, and, like, we never want to do that. We also get a chance to see what they're doing that's right, and we go, like, you know what? I want to be like that. I want to do that. And there are people in my life that I've, I, I've said at times to myself, like, I want to be like that. When I take a look at Scripture, when I read Scripture, I like to look at people. It's one of my favorite things to do is to take a look and do like a character study, but to learn not just about the person, but to learn literally about their character as far as who they were, what they were like. What can I learn from them? How can I become more like them? And this morning, I'd like you for you to do that with me. Pastor Ken has spent the last six weeks in the book of Philippians. It's one of my favorite books, one of my favorite letters. Paul's writing this letter. Um, and, you know, we no, we're not going to study Paul. A lot of people have written about Paul. I mean, Paul, we're pretty familiar with Paul. We know a lot of stories. Some of you that have been around church for a while, you know a lot of stories about Paul. You know exactly what, like, who he was and his conversion and, and his ministry and his personality and everything else like that. But there is another person in the book of Philippians that intrigues me that I really love. And I'd like to share that with you this morning and some things we can learn from him. I, the person is Timothy. 
So we're going to turn, um, like, at times to different passages of Scripture. We're going to, first of all, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, and then chapter 2, and then we're going to be in the book of Acts. All right, chapter 15, 16, maybe even part of 17. I don't know if we even get to parts of that. But um, what can we learn from Timothy? What can we learn about him? What can we learn from him that we can then use in our lives? So first of all, let's, let's look at Acts um, chapter 1, verse 1. It's, and I'm just going to read just the first part of it. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. And I want to, I want to kind of stop there. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ. And now, if, when you first read it, it sounds like what? Timothy's co-authoring this. This is from Paul and Timothy, almost like he's a co-author. Now, scholars don't, don't, don't really believe, they don't really say that Timothy is like a co-author because there's, Paul uses the word I way too many times in, in this epistle. And you've been here the last six weeks. You know that this is Paul sharing his heart. It's from the very heart of Paul. Paul's talking and it's very, very personal, and it's like it's very first person. First person singular, I love you, I care about you, I'm excited for you, I, I'm in, to have tremendous joy when it comes for you. Know, for you. Everything else, it's so much I. So we kind of like we know, like, like almost nobody says, well, he's really a co-author. But Timothy might actually believe, some scholars say, might actually be what's called an amanuensis. He's the guy that's writing the letter out, that's going to be sent um, he's the one that's taking down what Paul is saying and actually putting it on paper um, and so that this can be sent to other people. And we don't know that for sure, but one thing we do know for sure. We do know that Timothy has a special place in the heart of Paul, where Paul, in essence, is writing the book of Philippians and says, Paul and Timothy. Like, this is from both of us. Even though I'm the one that's writing, this is kind of like from both of us because we share that same heart, that same passion. And actually... We're going to find out Timothy has a very special place in the heart of the people at Philippi as well. Before we go too much further, though, I do want to do I do want to mention um, that Paul, that Timothy, is mentioned extensively, far more extensively, in Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, verses nineteen through twenty-four. Paul once again mentions Timothy, and let me read at least part of that. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will, genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. You know, uh, Paul is basically saying a couple things here about Timothy. First of all, he says, but you know. And the, and the, the word there for know is the word of an experiential knowledge. You yourself have experienced fully well. Timothy's proven value, his proven worth. You know it. You've seen it. You've experienced it. I have no one else like him. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So as Paul lovingly talks about Timothy, this is somebody that we need to consider as far as how he lived his life and how 
we can also live our life. You know, um, the question for us this morning is, what can we learn from him? And what, we can learn, what can we learn from Timothy? The story comes mainly from Acts chapter 15, really verse 36 through chapter 16, verse 40, and even into chapter 17. And I'm going to turn there. And if you want to turn there with me, a couple of the things that we're going to say, we're going to take right from those passages. So what can we learn from Timothy? Um, first of all, what we're going to do is we're going to state a given. You know, sometimes whenever you come to something like this, you want to say, let's understand one thing first. Let's put this right here at the very beginning, at the very basic, as a foundation for what we're going to discuss about Timothy. Is First of all, Paul does not take just anybody with him on his missionary journeys. You understand that? Paul doesn't just take anybody. Uh, if, if you look with me in Acts chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 36, it's uh, after Paul and Silas had, had come back from Jerusalem and are going out to, to actually share the gospel, I mean the message, not the gospel, but the message of the church council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, it says in verse 36, but sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Let's go. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had departed deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Look, John Mark had been with them on the first missionary journey and had left. We don't know exactly why he left. He was young. He was a believer. He's actually a cousin of Barnabas. So John Mark had, had been with, him, with them, and he had left. And now uh, time had passed. They had finished the missionary journey. They had gone back to Jerusalem. They had the big Jerusalem council and everything else like that. And they want to go out again. And uh, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Like, the cool part about all this is like, when they first started that first missionary journey, when they first got together, Barnabas was the man, not Paul. If, if you read in Acts, uh, early in Acts, it's, you know, of course, he was called, his name was Saul, and he was then called Paul. He's called Paul during that first missionary journey is whenever they start calling him Paul instead of Saul. But in the very beginning, it was always Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. They always said the name first of the person who had the most prominence, the person who was the leader. Halfway through that missionary journey, it became Paul, while they're, you know, while they're out there, it becomes Paul instead of Saul, but it becomes Paul and Barnabas. It switches whenever the ministry begins to include not just the Jews, but now also the, the Gentiles. And so, like, here's, the, here's Barnabas. He, he is the guy. In fact, what's really interesting, uh, you know, this, I, I know this is a little bit trivia kind of to some degree, but I always find this, I, I have a strange mind. I think in strange ways at times. So you're just going to have to bear with me a little bit. But what's really kind of cool is when they finish the first missionary journey, they come back to Antioch, and they go down to Jerusalem to figure out what in the world the church is going to do with the Gentiles. And when they go back to Jerusalem, you read it in Acts chapter 15. When they go back in Jerusalem, it goes back to Barnabas and Paul. Because in Jerusalem, who was the one who had more priority? Who was the one that had more prominence and more kind of authority? Who was the man? Barnabas still. So it kind of goes back to Barnabas and Paul. And here they come back, and these two guys have worked together, and Barnabas says, hey, let's take my, my cousin with me. Let's take John Mark with us again. And, and Paul's going, uh-uh, no. 
And here's what's really, I think this is cool because this is hope for some of us. It says there arose such a sharp disagreement. By the way, that, that's like they had a pretty big argument to the fact that they split up. You know, sometimes in ministry, we, we will disagree with people. And we may even part ways, but that doesn't, it's not always necessarily like, I don't know. I don't know if it's always sin, but it's hope for us if Barnabas and Paul have an argument and they recover and they do fine and they move on. Hmm. So can we, right? Maybe we'll have that, those disagreements from time to time, but like you just need to sometimes set them aside. Here's a, what's really cool, like, and John Mark's for maybe like another day, but John Mark, uh, by the way, Paul says later, uh, bring to me John Mark, send to me John Mark, because he's profitable to me in ministry. Says that later, late in his ministry. Uh, also, by the way, we have a book in the Bible written by him, right? The Gospel of Mark. This guy that Paul refused to take along. Writes one of our, one of our books. Like one of those gospels that some people read first because it's the shortest, right? So like uh, John Mark becomes really important, but that's for, that's, that's for another day maybe, maybe. Um, let's get back to Timothy. Uh, what do we notice about Timothy? There's four things I want us to see about Timothy. Number one is this. Timothy had a great reputation. Not just a good one. He had a great reputation. Even as a young man, and relatively a young believer, a young Christian. Uh, look with me in chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. It says, regarding Paul, he came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Now, I want to stop there because, like, they spoke well of him. Uh, the idea of speaking well of him is almost the idea of bragging. It's almost the idea of, listen, they had nothing bad to say about this guy. I mean, it's obvious. Here, Paul, like, meets him, and here's this guy. He's young. He's young in the Lord. His mother's Jewish, but apparently, uh, like, his father's not. His father's not religious, not Jewish, and not a believer. His mother's Jewish and a believer, but Timothy, is interesting, is called a disciple, which seems to be almost like a step above where his mother was in her commitment to the Lord. And not just in his hometown, not just in his home church, but in Lystra and Iconium, in the surrounding area, they spoke extremely highly of him. They almost like bragged about him. That's pretty impressive to me as far as, here you have this young man who has a great reputation. Second thing I want us to see about Timothy is also found in chapter 16, but it's verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Second point is this, Timothy was willing to do anything. He was willing to do whatever it took to be effective in ministry. Wait a minute. Did you, like, listen to verse 3? Did you read that? He did what? He got what? Yeah. yeah. I don't want to go. I, I, I'm so glad that I've only ever had to teach Old Testament once, and I kind of, like, skimmed over that section. Right? Like, like having seventh grade kids asking, what's, what's circumcision? Like a seventh grade girl or high school girl, like, I'm so glad I've never had to really handle that. But for some of us guys, it, 
to think of that happening to us as an adult. I'm sorry. I have a little bit of a strange mind because, first of all, like, it's not necessary for salvation. That's what all of, John chapter, I mean, all of Acts chapter 15 is basically about as far as what do we require the Gentiles. They don't have to be circumcised. And I know he's Jewish. His mother was Jewish. But he was raised apparently more Gentile than Jewish because he had never been circumcised. Now, he becomes a believer. He's a disciple. He's a good disciple. And Paul wants to take him along. But Paul feels it necessary to have him circumcised. And it's like the first part of me would say, oh, wait a minute. Like, well, there's also a part of me that says, I, I, I'm not trying to be gross, but did they check? Did they, I mean, did they ask or did they check? I don't, like, why? If it did happen, I'll bet word spread. I'll bet the Jewish non-believers, I'll bet the people, by the way, Paul's, Paul's practice over and over again, Paul's consistent practice was when he went to a town, when he went to a city, where did he go first? He went to the synagogue. He went to the Jews first. By the way, that's not priority. That's, that's just the order that things happened. It wasn't a priority to go to the Jews first, but he went to the Jews first. That's just, that's just how he did it. He went to the Jews first, as was his practice, and then he went to Gentiles. But when he went to the synagogues, apparently it mattered some of us might have said, uh, wait, wait a minute, I don't think that's really necessary. He was willing to do whatever. By the way, that's not just a, a, like a personal sacrifice, that's a physical. But I don't want to go too far with that. My wife is always afraid that I will. There, there's other stories, but we're not going to go there. Um, Listen, he was willing to do whatever it took to be effective in ministry. Third thing I want us to see about Timothy. He was not concerned about power, prestige, or the limelight. Didn't worry about getting credit for what he did. Now, how many of you could list some things that Timothy did? What did Timothy do? Anybody could list, list some stuff? Actually, like, it's almost never presented as just outright, like, like, where he gets the limelight or the credit, right? He's like, like he always seems to be doing stuff behind the scenes. So, like, if, if we were to take more time, and I, I just looked down at the clock, it's like, okay, let's not, let's take a little bit of time, but not too much time. I'm not going to walk you through all the different verses. But, but when you read in uh, chapter 16 and then chapter 17 and chapter 18, et cetera, when you read in all that, Timothy, especially in this second missionary journey, Timothy joins them at Lystra, and they travel across what we would call modern-day Turkey. They called it, you know, they travel through all these different regions, and God pre- prohibited them from going into some areas, and they go down to Troas. And in Troas, Paul has this vision, a uh, man from Macedonia saying, Come. I always picture the guy, I don't know if you any remember the old commercials to travel to Jamaica where the guy says, come to Jamaica. Anybody remember that? I always, like, I don't know, there was something strange in my mind in those days when I read this passage. I, I, I pictured it being that voice, come to Macedonia. Like, you know, and, and by the way, in Troas, so it's Paul, Silas, Timothy, in Troas, the author of Acts joins them. Luke joins them in Troas. Because all of a sudden, the pronouns change. 
It went from they did this and they did this and they came down to Troas and we went to Philippi. We went over, crossed over to Macedonia and they go to Philippi. So you have these four men traveling together. And some of you know the story of, you know, you know some of the stories of Paul's missionary journeys in Philippi, what happens, the slave girl, they cast the demon out. And I, I love that story, but we're not, I don't have time. Um, they get arrested. They, first of all, they get beaten. They get arrested, they get beaten, and they get thrown in jail and no trial. And then the magistrates find out what? Paul is a Roman citizen. Oh, you can leave now. Oh, no, no, no. You have to deal with this fact that I'm a Roman citizen and you did this illegally. And by the way, what, what would happen to them is, is what they did to him because they did this. Like, or worse, it's like this is like major. They come and plead with him, stuff like that. What I, what, what I want you to notice in Philippi is two people don't get arrested. Timothy and Luke. Timothy's been traveling with him and doing stuff. He doesn't get arrested, probably because he's, he's basically doing stuff behind the scenes. But when they leave, guess who stays behind in Philippi? Briefly, Timothy, to help the church. And then he travels to Thessalonica. By the way, things weren't going well at Thessalonica. People want to kill Paul. So he, then he and all of them escape. By the way, uh, Luke does completely stay behind at Philippi. He doesn't continue to travel with him at this point. Uh, you know, and the three of them leave there. They go to Berea. And then people from Thessalonica come back down to Berea to try to kill Paul. And, and so they send Paul to Athens. And who stays behind? Timothy and Silas. And by the way, what happened during that time is... Timothy and Silas go back to Thessalonica to check to see how the believers are doing at Thessalonica and probably go back to Philippi. And then join up, and they find Paul eventually in Corinth. But it's like Timothy's doing all this stuff, but he's doing all the follow-up work. He's, doing, he's continuing that discipleship process. He still don't, he, we don't... We often don't get... He doesn't get any credit for it. He wasn't worried about getting credit. He wasn't worried about being in limelight, but he's doing phenomenal stuff. And I could go on about different things that Timothy does in, like, in the background, but we see all that pretty clearly. And you know, there are scholars that believe, you know, that kind of believe he did some other things along the way, but it's pretty clear that Timothy was pretty active and definitely involved in the ministry. By the way, go back to Philippians 2. Paul says, I have no one like him. You know his proven worth. But he wasn't concerned about being in the limelight. He wasn't concerned about getting credit, you know, power, prestige. He wasn't concerned about any of that stuff. He served. Fourth thing I want us to see is that Timothy was in it for the long haul. He was willing to do it over the long haul. Listen, Philippians is being written by Paul. Timothy's there when Paul's in prison. Probably 11 years later. 11 years have passed and Timothy's still there. And Paul says, I have no one like him. And by the way, things got worse for Christians, not better. For the church, not better. Paul's in prison. Timothy's there with him. Timothy did all this traveling when he went back to Thessalonica. That, that, that was dangerous because they, 
Like, oh, you were with Paul. We're going to get you instead. You know, we all know that people are kind of like that. You, know, they, they, you can't get the person you're after. You're going after somebody else. Uh, this is during difficult times, times of heavy persecution, and it's the real beginning of the real severe persecution and who's still there over the long haul. Timothy's still there. Not easy times. Difficult times. So what do, we, what do we learn? What can we learn from this? How, how can we take who Timothy was and what Timothy was like, and how can we take these qualities and apply them to our lives? Well, I think there's four questions. And if you have the notes, and they'll probably be up on the screen. I haven't even been paying attention if they're up there or not. But there's four questions that I, that I would like to ask us to ask of ourselves. And I, th- I think we can kind of like do, do like a little personal inventory, uh, not take a survey of other people, but a personal inventory. And I, I just want to even basically say, um, I think as a church, I think most of us would do pretty well probably whenever we take the survey. But for each one of us, there's things that, that, we, that stand out and the Holy Spirit causes to come and kind of hit us like right here and say like, no, no, that's you. You, you needed to hear that. You need to think about that. For us to be more like Timothy. First question is, like I have to ask it, what's my or what's your reputation? How good is it? You know, there there have been times mine hasn't always maybe been the best. You know that? His was pretty good. One of the saddest things that, I, that I, I've ever encountered in ministry, and I was working in, uh, in a church, and one of the men in the church was a leader in the church and a committed Christian, loved the Lord, knew scripture, everything else like that. But then I got a chance to know him as a businessman, and he was foul-mouthed, jerk. Said, that, well, the only way I can get things done is to use those four-letter words. It's the only way they'll listen to me. Now, then there was the part of me that wanted to say, Really? Yeah. Like, don't have them work for you. Like, you know, like, are those the only people? That, like, I, I don't, I just, I, and you know what? As I got to know some people in the community better and things like that, he was known as a huge hypocrite. Lived one way at church, lived one way in the world. That was not Timothy. One of my favorite parts about teaching uh, down through the years has, has been, you know, um, when I first started teaching, um, I, was, I was brand new at teaching, so I, and I was brand new at the school. And uh, first year of teaching, I, I had no idea who was what. Like, I didn't know who the good kids were, who the bad kids were. But I, I end, ended up developing this process where I would have these kids, and then I would hear stuff about their past or what they were like with other teachers. And I'm going like, but that's, they're, they're not that way with me. So I used to, I used to like in, intentionally, I used to teach only juniors and seniors when I first started teaching, and I used to intentionally not listen to anybody else, not even the, not even the Bible teacher or anything else like that, because I used to tell them, listen, this, you know, in fact, I, I have a sign in my room that says Macaulayville, and part of the issue of Macaulayville is, um, you know, I said, look, listen, you know, the other Bible teacher, that was his room, this is my room, this is my town, you know, when you come in here, you come in here as a fresh slate, you, 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 can, you create your reputation with me, you can start from scratch, I, I, I don't care, I don't listen. Um, I used to, like, I used to not even go to the teacher's lounge to sit in the lunchroom. 
or to sit with the other teachers because I didn't want to hear like negative stuff. Because you know sometimes they, there can be a little bit of gossip even among Christian school teachers stuff like that about like well this student did this, this student did this, and they could always start fresh with me. And it's like it, it was great. I was the you build your reputation with me. I don't know what you, did, you were like in the past. You get a chance to start from scratch. You get a chance to build your reputation with me. So when I thought ninth graders, you know, same thing would be true. They'd come in, like, I, I, I didn't eat with, I didn't sit or talk to the middle school teacher as much. Like, because I, I, I don't want, I don't want to, like, they get a chance to start from scratch. I, I don't want to know the past. And they get a chance to build a reputation, but some of them haven't built great reputations. Some of them have. So what's your reputation like? In the, in the workplace? In school? You're a good student? Like as far as you just you're willing to study, you're willing to listen, you're willing to learn, you treat other people. I mean, like what what who are you what, what are you like? What do you like, you know, with your family versus with your friends? What's your reputation? By the way, Timothy had a great reputation. I wonder what mine is sometimes, right? Second thing, second question. Second question is, uh, what, are, what am I willing to do to be effective? What are you willing to do to be effective in ministry? Listen, I, I, I'm older, so I, I grew up in, in, in that age where, you know, Christians didn't smoke, didn't chew, didn't dance, didn't go to movies, didn't go with people that did, you know, type thing, you know. The, the whole, like the very, very legalistic, I grew up in that very, very legalistic atmosphere and I got away from it and, and when I served in churches some of them were a little bit less legalistic and then it got even less after that and etc and and then I was asked to go preach at a church that was the super legalistic church and so like I had to go back to wearing a shirt and tie and a suit your shoes shined the whole nine yards it's like somebody says wasn't that a little weird do you have to go back into legalism what are you willing to give up what are you willing to do to be effective in ministry? I knew if I was going to minister at that church, I had to give up some of my rights, some of my privileges, some of my preferences to serve. You know, other places, my, like, listen, my father-in-law and my parents were this way. They're, they're both home with the Lord, but my father-in-law is still alive, and, and he, he believes Christians shouldn't go to the movie theater. So, like, we don't talk, if we go to the movies, we don't talk about it. Why? Because you know what? Sometimes you, you just don't go there because you know it's going to impact other people in a negative way. What are you willing to do? What preferences are you willing to give up for the sake of a ministry? And those are difficult questions, by the way. Have been for me for years. Difficult questions as far as, so like, when do you draw the line? And, and the line changes at times. I was an interim pastor for two years just like on a part-time basis, an interim pastor for two years at a very legalistic church. They didn't even want me to use PowerPoint because they were afraid people wouldn't bring their Bible to church. Because to them, it was a big deal that you could go to church and never open your Bible. To them, that was huge. That was sin. Like, but I, I was there for two years. Great, loving people. Phenomenal. And it's like, but you just, you realize that to sometimes you, you like, you just choose your battles, and you say, like, that's not that big a deal. We could still minister. And after being there for about a year, they actually let me use PowerPoint. Because, like, there's, some, there's a trust that gets developed. Why? Because, like, you develop a reputation, but you're also willing to do whatever it takes to be effective in ministry. I don't know what that means for you today. 
I don't know what that means as far as, well, that's just being legalistic. We, you know, sometimes we say that and we're not thinking because to be effective, maybe we need to set aside. Timothy was willing to do whatever it took. Third thing, and I actually think in the third thing, I actually think as a church we, we, we do real well because I so appreciate the fact that there are plenty of people that serve in, in, in anonymity. There are people doing it right now. Nursery, children's ministry. Like I've been in churches where they list everybody that's serving in children's ministry and nursery and everything else like that to make sure that they get the credit that they deserve for doing that. But we don't, we don't do that, do we? But there are people who they don't care about being in the limelight. They don't care about like who notices or anything else like that. They're just willing to serve. I, th- I think we do really pretty well as a church. But maybe for some of us, that's exactly what the Lord would want us to consider. Maybe like okay, you're you're not willing to do that because nobody notices and nobody cares. Seems to care. Aren't you grateful that we have so many people that are willing to do that? But is, is the limelight, is the recognition, is credit a big deal to you? It was not to Timothy. And number four, Timothy was willing to do it over the long haul. Now, I'm getting older. Uh, my brother would say I'm just flat out old. So, like, I don't, I, I don't see that yet. Uh, but I'm getting there. And this has been a thing for me for the last uh, 10 to 15 years. Where I, like, it's just, it's long story, but I begin to realize, you know, at a certain point you begin to realize your own mortality, that you're not guaranteed a long time, and that, you know, everything else that's going on. And, you know, one of the things that I have heard other pastors and other people in ministry say that has become, has become like this, mantra, so to speak, for me. I can't think of the word I want to use, but a major theme in my life is the fact that I want to finish strong. I want to finish well. I've seen too many people, when they get older, fall away. I want to finish strong. I want to be there for the long haul. Whatever it takes. I I don't want to come to the end of my life and people say at the end, "Uh, you know, I kind of slacked off at the end. He stopped serving the Lord. He stopped worrying about his devotions. He stopped worrying about his walk with the Lord. I I don't ever want that. There's another side to this. So, like, it was 11 years from the time they were at, Philippi, and the letter to the Philippians is written. It's 11 years. 11 years from now, how are you going to be? Where are you going to be? Are you in it for the long haul? And Timothy was in it long even beyond that, right? In tough times, he was in it beyond that because Paul's last, well, his last letter definitely was 2 Timothy that he wrote. I mean, he's still, he's still there, and Paul's saying, keep going. Step up, step it up, because you, you, you have more responsibility now. You got to step it up in difficult times. You got to step it up. So his last, like his possibly his last two letters, definitely his last letter is written to Timothy. Timothy's still going strong. Will you be still going strong? Will I?
or are we just in it for a short time for now? You know, I've worked a lot with high school students. When I go to college, I'm going to do as I please. Paul wouldn't have asked you to go with him if that was your attitude. He wouldn't have said, yeah, you come with me. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been really cool? Like I, years ago, one of my favorite people in ministry was Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck Swindoll, I, I, like I, would have, I would have loved to have had Chuck Swindoll come to, come to me and say, hey, I want you to come work with me on my staff. I want, I want to disciple you. I want, I want you to work with me. Come. That would have been so cool. Didn't happen. You know, he, was in, he was in California and then in Texas, and I, I'm, I'm in New Jersey. So like, and, and at that time. But uh, the long haul. Listen, um, there's one last thing that I, that I, that I do want to say is, if you are not a believer, if you are not a disciple in Jesus Christ, then all of this is, is, is worthless. All of this was kind of pointless in your life. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then this is not, this is not for you because you're not going to be able to do this stuff. And maybe the decision that you need to make is not take these four questions and answer these four questions for yourself. It's just take the one question is, do I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior? Have I accepted that free gift of salvation through the precious blood of Jesus Christ? If, if that's something you want to talk about, I would love to talk to you. I am sure Pastor Cam would love to talk to you. Because that is first and foremost. These other four things... Yeah, they're really important for us to consider, but that's, that is even more important. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you for all that you do in our lives, the way that you work in powerful ways that we can't even begin to imagine. Thank you for our time together this morning. And Lord, my prayer is that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be pleasing, acceptable, profitable, and effective in your sight for your glory. As always, we will give any glory and all glory for what you do in our midst all to you. Use this time mightily, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.